Hey, keto freaks. Here's an update on KetoFest. KetoFest is a ketogenic festival for everyone. Richard Morris and I, along with a host of keto rock stars you probably know, are turning the entire coastal town of New London, Connecticut, ketogenic for a whole weekend next July. At least we hope it'll be next July. The actual date won't be confirmed until mid-January. You want talks by some of the hottest names in keto? Some of the best and brightest minds have already said they want to come, including Jimmy Moore, Megan Ramos, Ivor Cummins, Dr. Jeff Gerber, Dr. Eric Westman, and Dr. Ted Naiman. We hope to have a bacon bar going all day long during the talks. Knowledge and bacon. Ah. But we're going to do much more than sit in on these great talks. How about an outdoor pig roast? Cooking classes, fitness classes, walking tours, segue tours, and of course, live music and hanging out with fellow Ketonians. Several restaurants and bars in the neighborhood have offered up a special keto menu that includes low-carb potables, chicken wings, and fathead pizza. Wouldn't a fathead pizza truck be the best ever? Yeah, I'm talking a portable brick oven all weekend long. Well, we're going to have a Kickstarter in March to sell tickets. Meantime, add your name to the mailing list at KetoFest.com. KetoFest, real keto for real people. Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia, and I've been on a ketogenic diet for over two years, almost three years now. Yeah. Yeah. And when I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've also lost about 80 pounds and have completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of my progress through ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. Yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nah. We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. You'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Yeah. We love to cook and we love to eat. Sure do. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. Oh, I tried to ignore one once. Didn't last very long. (laughs) (laughs) So, Richard, let's start podcast number 45, Conventional Wisdom. So, Richard, do we have any corrections or apologies from last week? Yes, actually, we've got two. There's one that I should make, and that is when I gave the recipe for making uh, shrimp noodles, I should have mentioned that you probably should wear gloves. I did mention you you should wash your hands afterwards, but, of course, you're working with meat glue. Meat glues proteins to proteins, and our skin is made of protein, so uh, you don't want to glue yourself to yourself. uh, so So is it like super glue if you get it on your fingers? 
Yeah, it's it's like super glue. If you get it on your fingers and then bring your fi- bring that up to fifty five degrees Celsius uh, or one hundred and thirty Fahrenheit, then uh, then your uh, it will be literally like super glue. Yes, just wash your hands afterwards. You'll be fine. Um, I used uh, I used plastic gloves, so uh, you know, when, I, when I made them, yeah. Once it's set, it's totally benign and harmless. It won't link any more proteins because it's done its job, uh, yeah. and it's not. It's it. I mean, it is. I guess you could say it's Franken food, but it's totally natural. It's made by a bacteria. Then again, anthrax is natural too, right? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so the other errata that I have is from Amber, who was our guest last week. What a great show, by the way. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Wasn't that good? I listened it to was. it today when I was riding my bike ride. I did a 50K bike ride to the next town. Normally I ride around our lake uh, on the weekend, but this time I went to the next town over and rode around their lake <laughs> Wow! and then rode back. So, And the whole time I was listening to Amber's podcast, how good. The only thing that I could say about it is we got some feedback that they wanted a little more um, science and some macros and all of that stuff and how it yeah. affects her blood sugar. But, yep. you know, we we were just scratching the surface with Amber. We're going to have her back for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, she's been awesome. So uh, she did give us one errata. She says uh, that uh, in our podcast, Carl asked me if babies have to be in ketosis to build brains. And I say yes, but that's not entirely true. That is, the, the primary way that babies build fat and cholesterol in the brain in normal conditions is out of ketone bodies, though a small proportion is also made out of glucose. Um, I have a few references on this point in the talk transcript of my blog. Okay. She says, the critical question is, what happens if there are no ketones to be had and only glucose? And the answer seems to be that glucose will suffice. There's a rare inborn error of metabolism called HMG-CoA lyase deficiency, which prevents the body from making ketones. A paper by another brilliant Morris reports that uh, people afflicted with this have white matter abnormalities, but no noticeable loss of function, except, of course, they can't go without food for long. Mm. So uh, this suggests that in cases where there are no circulating ketones because they can't make them, the glucose alternative pathway will take over and get at least an adequate brain constructed. And Amber goes on and she says, it occurs to me that children with this condition may be perfect candidates for the therapeutic use of ketone esters, providing the condition doesn't somehow prevent their use. Mm-hmm. So that was that was quite interesting. We'll, yep. we'll put um, information for, about that on uh, the errata for that show. And we'll thank Amber for joining us last week. And we look forward to speaking to her again. Absolutely. Uh, So let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is for those who are just joining us for the first time. A well-formulated ketogenic diet uh, restricts carbohydrates to incidental carbohydrates from green leafy vegetables, non-starchy vegetables. Pretty much, yeah. um, Maybe a few nuts, that kind of thing. But no sugar, no starch, no bread, no none of that stuff. Uh, Yeah, no pasta. Yeah. And where it differs from uh, other low-carb diets is that we put a moderate cap on protein. Protein scales. Right. How much protein you have scales to the amount of lean body mass that you have. And we typically Mm -hmm. eat around one to one and a half grams of protein a day for every kilogram of lean body mass that we have. That's right. And then the rest of it is fat. Yeah. And uh, if you're hungry, you eat a little fat or you try to eat fattier cuts of meat until you're full. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love the way that you put it in your haiku, Richard, which is <laughs> eat when you're hungry, mm-hmm. mostly fat with some protein. Stop when you are full. Yeah. That's pretty much it, isn't it? <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I was told actually that haikus require a mention of a season and something in nature. So yeah, I, I need to somehow squeeze that in. I've got no syllables left. So You know what? Fat is natural. Yeah, that's true. What you mean is the environment, you know, like a yes. beach or sand or wind Apparently. or something. Yeah. To be official. To be official. I like it, however. So there mm-hmm. you go. And it's nice and easy to remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's tell everybody how our weeks were. How was yours? Yeah, mine was pretty good. I uh, just been on a bike ride. I'm in the middle of a zorn fast, so I'm uh, three days into a four day zorn fast. Okay, uh, and I'm uh, I've just been on a 50k bike ride. As I mentioned, I went to the next town over and rode around their lake, and then rode back again, and that that was about 50k worth. And uh, listen to podcasts while I ride, which is what I usually do nice. on the weekends. Yeah, I got a really bad sunburn. Last weekend, after we recorded the podcast, I went out that Sunday and I rode with a singlet without any sleeves on it and my upper arms had not seen sun for maybe two decades and that was a stupid thing to do. Absolutely uh, stupid. So, so You know, uh, sometimes you just yeah. feel like you're immortal, you know? Yeah, Isn't it? you need to be brought down a peg. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I had that experience too. Out on the East Coast here, there's a wonderful spot uh, called Block Island, mm. and Block Island is off the coast of um, uh, Rhode Island. Okay, and uh, it's a wonderful little beach island with a lot of touristy stuff. And uh, I went there to play in a you know in a band, a substitute as a guitar player for for sure. this band. Uh, they needed a sub, and it was during the summer. And I thought, what the heck? I'm immortal. I don't need no sunscreen. I laid out on the beach all day and uh, oh dear. paid for it dearly. Oh dear. Gotta watch out for that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I figure if I get one decent burn at the beginning of summer, it reminds me that I'm not immortal <laughs> and I'm pretty right. good for the rest of the summer. I put on sunblock when I, whenever I go out. So that was my week. How was yours, Carl? I've had a good week, Richard. Awesome. I've um, been making some new foods and um, sticking to my window of eating in mostly uh, a six-hour or seven-hour window, mm. and that has been fantastic for me. And um, I, you know, weight comes off like at a pound a day when I do that, and I get down to uh, a new low. Mm-hmm. And then usually something happens where I'll have a little too much Carl's Head pizza, or you know, maybe. Maybe uh, whatever, I, I eat a little bit too much and then I go up for a couple of days and then I come down and I go up. So I've been sort of swinging around the last five or 10 pounds for, you know, quite a while here. That said, I feel so good and um, exercising when I want to exercise. I just went out and shoveled the driveway the other day and, <laughs> and uh, my wife said to me, you know, it's the first time I wasn't worried about you when right. uh, you were shoveling the driveway because... Usually I huff and puff and, you know, before, before I got healthy Sure. and I was just devouring it. I was just like, you know, a machine. It's just wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like that. We don't generally go down in a straight line as we lose weight. And part of that has to do with the fact that uh, losing weight is a stress for the body. And so it'll mm. get to the point where it says, okay, I need to make sure that this person isn't dying. Mm. Uh, it, it, the, the body's number one priority is survival. So you could imagine with most animals, if they're losing weight, then they're coming under a lot of stress. And so uh, their bodies and our bodies uh, basically take a pause and mm. we'll make sure that everything is uh, okay before proceeding on the next uh, the next uh, 
uh, trip down. Now, the other interesting thing is that for those people who are insulin resistant like you and I are, we generally make a lot more insulin than most people. And so we have to be a little bit more tighter control on carbs and protein because mm. we make so much. We, we can make 10 times the amount of insulin. And when most people make insulin, uh, it only hangs around for about half an hour and the body uses it. Whereas for us, because we don't use it very efficiently, it can hang around for about five or six hours. So mm. um, so that's the, that's the complexity for type 2 diabetics that we really – we produce a lot of insulin. So as we're losing weight, we get to the point where whatever it is that we're doing is producing enough insulin to stop further weight loss. And we need to then, you know, uh, revisit what we're doing. Um, are we eating as few carbohydrates as we need to? Are sneaky carbs getting back into our diet? Right. Are we just eating a lot more protein? Are we just not concentrating on the road, basically? So, um, so that's really the, the, the strategy, I guess, is, you know, if you're, uh, if you're having these mini stalls, if you have a major stall, then that means that you're, you've basically hit the point where your basal level of insulin is stopping you from going down any further. And that's where you need to take strategies to lower insulin. And then that will enable you to uh, keep losing weight. Yeah. And the other important thing to note is that the goal weight that we have set ourselves may not be the goal weight that our body is willing to accept to maximize our survival yeah. for example you might want to have a perfect bikini body for for summer your body probably doesn't want that it probably wants you to be gladiator fit <laughs> you know yeah yeah gladiators had a good bit of uh, body fat around them to protect from injury right um so it's quite possible that your goals and your body's goals are different so um mm. your point about feeling good is is kind of important because that for me, is the ultimate goal. Well, my first goal is glucose control. My second goal is general health and feeling good. Right. And if your your glucose is in control, and it, it, it is, and your lipids are looking awesome, which they are, mm -hmm. and your uh, markers of cardiovascular disease are all low, which they are, yeah. and you're feeling great, you've got four out of the five checkboxes checked off. Right. So cut yourself some slack uh you'll you will lose more weight that that will happen but uh, oh yeah absolutely and i don't i don't mind it at all you know and speaking of this um we saw this great video that uh got posted in our group this week of stephen finney right in his interactive workshop optimizing low carb high fat for weight loss and health from low carb down under right yeah i actually flew to sydney for that event you can actually hear me laughing at stage in the front row stage left <laughs> oh that's hilarious so i figured you were there because this is what mm -hmm. you were talking about yeah um so essentially he took questions from the audience and they were so great and one of the key questions uh, was it about 34 minutes in, was about, I see in my clinic a lot of women come in and they, even though they have been doing it for a few weeks, the low carb, high fat diet, the ketogenic diet, right. they're not losing weight, even though their DEXA scans are positive, showing more lean muscle mass and less body fat. So they're converting fat to muscle, their blood pressure improves, their lipids improve, sure. um, they feel much better, they have a lot more energy, they have the mental clarity, they have all the benefits, but they're so upset because they're not losing, they might even be gaining weight. And we talked about this a couple of times on our show. Mm. And, uh, and and he basically says, you know, he, he didn't say hormones are, you know, hormone balance comes into play like a lot of other people have said, but he mm. clearly just said that, you know, he sees it a lot 
and yeah. uh, it, and it's just something that is an observation of nature. And you, when you find all of these other things that happen first with women, typically, all of you know the converting, mostly converting fat to muscle, right? You know that is a really good sign that you're heading in the right direction. And uh, we know Karen Mangicotti had this exact yeah. uh, experience. But she also said she felt some of the mental benefits as well. Yeah. He, even without weight benefits, she was getting the mental clarity uh, oh, yeah. in her writing and, and what have you. So, uh, yeah, she definitely saw that value. But she went six weeks where she was – her first six weeks on keto, she was gaining weight every week. Mm. And i got to admit, if it was me, I would have ditched it yeah. After the third or fourth week. Um, right. But she stuck to it because uh, she was so scared about uh, Mark's conditions. And, mm. you know, Mark actually says to me that she really started losing weight once they upped the fat in her diet. Right. And it was actually interesting going back to Stephen Finney. He mentions in that video that uh, the dinner the night before, they had all of this lean meat. And so mm. he had to order a plate of fat. Uh, I was there. Yeah. I was actually at that dinner and I yeah. was sitting next to him and we ate exactly <laughs> this. We ate pretty much exactly the same food. And he ordered a bowl with about 250 mils of melted butter that he ladled right. onto, his, onto his meal. Now, yeah. Uh, we ate pretty much the same food. I didn't eat the butter. I didn't add any of that fat bomb to my food because um, I, I was quite sated. And, and yet mm. at the same time in the meal, we both got up satisfied and neither of us were hungry over, through the night and we both ate pretty much the same thing the next day f uh, over breakfast. So that's an indication that um, he is a lot le more lean than I am and he needed yeah. to have more fat on his plate. Yeah. But the critical thing here is you've got to trust your satiety signals because hunger is what our bodies use to tell us that we're below survival level of energy coming in. Mm. And so once you start trusting those, and he, he did mention this during the talk, he, he always uses hunger as his guideline to, to fueling yeah. conditions. It's a brilliant hour-long workshop that you should definitely watch, and we're going to link yeah, to it. we will do. Yeah. All right, Richard, let's uh, talk conventional wisdom. And I thought about this topic because, as you probably know, I'm a huge fan of National Public Radio, NPR, yeah. which is, in my opinion, the best source of uh, news and information that Americans can get or, or just about anybody in the Western world can get on the Internet, you know, on, and various news forms. You probably don't know this, but... Uh, in Australia, we get American news every evening, uh, direct from America, and it's the NPR broadcast. Oh, that's great. So the news that the rest of the world gets of America from America is NPR. So, of course, you know, you like to trust NPR, but even NPR is susceptible <laughs> to confusion based on conventional wisdom. And, and I just thought when I heard this clip that I'm going to show you now... Hmm. Uh, I just thought there's a show here because so much of what we know about or quote unquote know about about uh, why we get fat and we think we know about why we get put on weight right. is based in conventional wisdom that somehow it's the fat. Mm. And but if you listen to the language of what we say, the clues are in there. OK. You know that we just have a couple of things wrong, but we kind of know 
that, you know, sugar and starch are bad. However, we always leap to vilify fat. Right. So people think in the conventional wisdom that, um, you know, vegetables are great. You should eat more vegetables, right? Sure. Which, as we proved last week with Amber, vegetables are not necessarily in a safe diet. That's right. Mm. And starches and sugars, everybody kind of knows that those are bad. However, yeah. however, there's some sort of perverse idea that if you eat something really starchy without any fat, that somehow that makes it okay. Such as what, for example? Such as a potato. Oh, yeah. Sure. So I'm offering up this little clip from Car Talk as evidence of our flawed conventional wisdom. Take a listen. And God populated the earth with broccoli and cauliflower and spinach, <laughs> green and yellow vegetables of all kinds, so man and woman would live long and healthy lives. Right. And Satan created McDonald's. <laughs> and McDonald's brought forth the 99-cent double cheeseburger, and Satan said to man, you want fries with that? And man said, supersize them. And man gained pounds. And God said, Try my crispy fresh salad, that woman might keep her figure that man found so fair. And Satan brought forth creamy dressings, bacon bits, and shredded cheese, and there was ice cream for dessert. And woman gained pounds. <laughs> and God said, I have sent your heart healthy vegetables and olive oil with which to cook them. Olive and oil. Satan brought forth yeah. chicken fried steak so big it needed its own platter, and man gained pounds, and his bad <laughs> cholesterol went through the roof. And God brought forth running shoes, and man resolved to lose those extra pounds, and Satan brought forth cable TV with remote control. <laughs> so man would not have to toil to change channels between ESPN and ESPN2. And man gained pounds. And God said, you're running up the score, devil. And God brought forth the potato, a vegetable naturally low in fat and brimming with nutrition. Mm. And Satan peeled off the healthful skin, sliced the starchy center into chips, and deep fat fried them. Oh, that and fat's terrible. And he created sour cream dip also. <laughs> Yay, Satan. <laughs> and man clutched his remote control and ate the potato chips, swaddled in cholesterol, and man went into cardiac arrest. And God sighed and created quadruple bypass surgery. And Satan created HMOs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you hear the clues. Olive oil is okay. Mm. Olive oil is okay, right? Yep. Because, you know, green salads with olive oil. Okay. Yep. And then, but sour cream dip and bacon bits are not. Apparently swaddled in cholesterol. So I'm not saying that click and clack are dietitians no. or experts on nutrition, but everybody just seems to agree, like to the point where we can all laugh and make yeah. jokes and jokes are all about pointing out the realities of life in a funny way. Yeah. But you know, you know what I'm saying? That's what jokes do. So the funny thing is that even though that I know that it's uh, bull, <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> uh, I th I found that funny. Yeah, of course it's funny. I was going along with the a the HMO and the yeah, I thought it was funny. Right. And yet it's all it's all founded on a tissue of lies. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. And so we this is what we're up against. We actually have to live in a world where we're looking for an out. And this is probably why people can't get started with keto and it takes them a long time. Yeah. I remember having this issue. Uh, I was listening to I think it was 
uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Okay. And uh, Peter Sagal, you know, is a very funny guy. Mm. And he's talking about, uh, I can't I think it was he was goofing on a low-carb diet. Okay. And he said something and everybody laughed. And I think it was, you know, if you're eating a double cheeseburger with extra cheese and greasy bacon and a lot of mayo... And even though you got some lettuce and tomato on there, chances are it's not the bun. <laughs> I remember that yeah. as a quote. I couldn't actually find the show where he said that. And everybody laughed. Yeah. You know, chances are it's not yep. the bun. Yep. And and he's completely wrong. Right. And, but everybody laughs. Yeah, you ditch the special sauce, which is full of sugar, and you ditch the bun. You know, most of the other things, ditch the fries, you don't need the fries. The burger itself is is fine. Yeah, right. And, you know, here's the thing, that these couple examples are about laughs, mm. and they're comedians. These aren't people who are qualified to have uh, an opinion right. on, however, you know, that. so this is one problem. Mm. The other problem is that, you know, people are always looking for a crutch. Right. And especially when it comes to getting started on keto and sticking with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the back of your mind, you're going to hear Peter Sagal saying to you, it's not the bun, ha, ha, ha. Right. And you're going to say, ah, okay, well, you know, what if what if he's right? I'll just go ahead and eat whatever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it sort of sets us up to fail. Okay, so it's one thing when comedians say stuff, mm. and that has an influence, but when doctors say stuff, right. it has an even bigger influence. Sure. And it's impossible for us to think, because we, you know, we actually aren't full of hubris, most of us, mm. that we know something that the doctors don't know. That's a really difficult thing for people to get. Yeah. You know? So let me give you another example. This is uh, from Supersize Me. Mm -hmm. When Morgan Spurlock went to his internist, uh, who is Dr. Daryl Isaacs, right. after being on this you know, diet where he ate McDonald's and all of this stuff, a lot of fries and a lot of soda. He followed their rules. If they offered him a supersize, he would take it. And he was just trying to point out how stupid that was. Yeah. You got it. So he goes to the doctor about two weeks before the end of his experiment. Mm. And his doctor looks at his liver numbers and says, man, this is bad. You should stop. So this is where... We pick up in the doctor's office where uh, Morgan Spurlock is just getting his blood pressure test and the doctor's looking at his liver numbers. Here we go. Okay. 150 over 90. Um, the headaches might even be hypertensive headaches, but they're probably not. They're probably uh, related to, you know, to blood sugar. You might be in this hyperinsulinemic state. So he gets that. Yeah, he does. 150 over 110. Now they're looking at its numbers. The total cholesterol is 165 before. Now it's 225. A liver that's, uh, that's inflamed in any way or sick in any way will, will, will leak some of its enzymes out into the blood. So he gets that. Yeah, he does. So yeah. this, this is very nonspecific, but it means the liver, the liver is sick. Yeah. And the most likely cause of your liver sickness is a fatty liver. He gets that. Is this true? Uh, your liver is now like pate. It's the OT was originally 21. Now it's... 130. And it's the PT was originally uh, 20. Was 20. Now it's 290. More than tenfold increase. That's, That's good. Not good. Not good. Not good. Mm. 
Not good. Anybody would, would, would say right now that you're sick. You feel fatigued with this. You feel lethargic with this. You feel run down with this. You Here feel... it comes. Yeah. If somebody were doing this to the level with alcohol, they could theoretically wipe out the liver, you know, wipe out all the liver cells and, 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 and they'd be in liver failure. Now, I've never heard of anybody doing this to the liver with, 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 a, with a high fat diet. Dope! Dope! But I guess anything's part of it. I don't know. I don't know. I'll ask the question. Never, never been done before. No one's ever wiped out their liver with a high fat diet before. Wow. No one's ever wiped out their liver. With, with a, a high-fat high fat diet, diet before. And the irony is, he's right. Yes. <laughs> However, with a combination of high-fat and high-carbs, yeah. you know, or even just high-carbs, low-fat, it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. You can, and people do, wipe out their liver. Yeah. Well, that guy that did that Australian movie, uh, Damon Gamo, did the uh, yeah. that sugar film. He did that. That's right. Now, what he did was he ate... Only food that a dietitian would consider healthy. So muesli right. bars, muesli, um, fruit. So it was low fat. It was it was low fat, and it was all food that's been that we all consider to be natural and healthy. And uh, he developed fatty liver disease, you know, because he was yeah. eating so much sugar, you know, and 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 the right. body the body can only handle about a teaspoon of sugar in your blood. And it's easy enough to, to do the math on that. If you look at your blood glucometer results, you can do the calculation. You've got five liters of blood. You can work out how many grams of sugar. There's about five grams in your entire body uh, it yeah. running around in your blood. About a teaspoon. Yeah, about a teaspoon. And all of the rest of it gets used. And how does it get used? We don't store much glucose. We can store a little bit in our liver. But if we still have a full liver from the previous day, we're not going to be able to stuff any more in there. Right. What happens? Gets converted into fat. Yeah. Gets converted into fat in your liver. And the closest place to put that fat is in your liver. So that's how you make foie gras. And then when you're foie gras and you can't stuff any more in your liver, yeah. now you start putting it viscerally around your organs right. and storing it there. Yeah, including your pancreas. Yeah. Yeah, and now you have your basic uh, belly. Yes, that's how you get that's how you get apple shaped people with uh, you know thin legs, thin arms, and and a big fat belly. So it's so it's the thing incredible. is we know the science now, yeah. and I will point you to a study here. In the Annals of Internal Medicine from mm. 2014, Effects of Low-Carbohydrate and Low-Fat Diets, a Randomized Trial. Okay. Now, this is a randomized trial. This is the holy grail of scientific inquiry, right? Right. Anybody will tell you that a randomized trial basically takes a group of people and randomly shuffles them into separate subgroups mm -hmm. and one subgroup gets one treatment the other subgroup gets another treatment but typically the only thing that's different is the thing that you want to test for normally the, the one group gets a control which is and the other group gets the intervention so. that's right and the thing is is if you want to test just one variable mm. you don't change five variables sure. for the control group you only change one yeah. the one that you want to test yeah right and then you do it again with the either the same people or different people, but you switch it. Do a cross crossover. 
Yeah, you switch it. Basically, you say, all right, we, we cut carbohydrates in this group. Now we're going to raise carbohydrates and yeah. see what happens, right? Mm -hmm. Or a particular food or whatever. Yeah. So the abstract basically says, low-carbohydrate diets are popular for weight loss, but their cardiovascular effects have not been well studied, okay. particularly in diverse populations. The objective is to examine the effects of a low-carbohydrate diet compared with a low-fat diet on body weight and cardiovascular risk factors. Mm. And so this was set in a large academic medical center, uh, 148 men and women without clinical cardiovascular disease and diabetes uh, were, were in this group. Mm -hmm. A low carbohydrate or low fat diet, uh, both groups received dietary counseling at regular intervals throughout the trial. And the measurements were data on weight, cardiovascular risk factors, and dietary composition were collected at zero, three, six, and 12 months. So here are the results, 82%, 60 participants in the low fat group and 79% or 59 participants in the low carbohydrate group completed the intervention. So that's good. Mostly sure. everybody completed it. Yeah. At 12 months, participants on the low carbohydrate diet had greater decreases in weight, mm -hmm. fat mass, ratio of total high density lipoproteins or HDL cholesterol and triglyceride level. Perfect. And greater increases in HDL cholesterol level mm -hmm. than on the low-fat diet. Which is what you'd expect. Yeah. So the conclusion is the low-carbohydrate diet was more effective for weight loss and cardiovascular risk factor reduction than the low-fat diet. Restricting carbohydrate may be an option for persons seeking to lose weight and reduce cardiovascular risk factors. This is just one study. Right. However, it's fairly recent. It's less than three years old. 2014, yeah. September 2014, yeah. yeah. So this is the National Institute of Health, and this is the the gold standard, I guess, for for uh, public research. It certainly is, and uh, you they even post the uh, the author and disclosure information there, and you can see uh, who did the study and who funded it and everything else. And there's nothing fishy going on here, as far as I can tell. Mm. So there you go. Uh, and that's just one study. There are lots of them out there, even for longer uh, than 12 months, two years, six years. Yeah, there's like 70-odd uh, RCTs that have compared low-fat to low-carbohydrate diets. And bear in mind that if you ask a dietitian, the standard answer will be you must go on a low-fat diet. If you want to lose weight or if you want to get cardio uh, vascular health, then you must mm. go on a low-fat diet. If you go on a high-fat diet or a low-carb, high-fat diet, then mm. their assumption, and they will, a dietitian will tell you this, is that will increase your risk of cardiovascular disease. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why they won't put diabetics on a, a low-carbohydrate diet. We know that the primary flaw for a diabetic is they cannot safely metabolize uh, glucose. Right. So you would think that a low glucose diet would be the solution, but uh, dietitians will say, well, diabetics have four times the risk of cardiovascular disease. And obviously, if we feed you a high fat diet, you'll get worse cardiovascular disease. Right. So yeah, the crazy thing is we've got the data. We've got some 55 randomized control trials that compare a low carb diet against a low fat diet. And in 47 of the 55, the low-carb diets have a better result than the low-fat diets. And in six of these diets, a low-fat diet has a better result than the low-carb diet. So you think, okay, the data is equivocal. 
both sides have some evidence supporting them. Well, if you actually dig into these RCTs, 28 of the, the, of the 55 that showed that the low-carb diet was uh, better than a low-fat diet, the data was significant. That is, the weight loss and the benefit to their cardiovascular lipid markers was all statistically significant data. In zero of the six that showed that low-fat was better than low-carb, was the benefit significant statistically? Mm. So, you know, pretty much you can say that the that the, the conclusion, though, was that the low-fat diet was slightly better than the low-carb diet, but it was such a small amount that it wasn't worth mentioning. But in the low-carb diet, 28 of them were significant. So if we wanted to take this link and have a headline that sort of captures people's attention... I would say that 28 randomized controlled trials up to two years long show that low-carb diets are healthier than low-fat diets. Yep, and drop, then drop the microphone. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's really infuriating that we tend to take on face value these statements about uh, low-fat diets being better for us, and we all believe it. I mean, you and I were listening to those comedy bits. Oh, yeah. We both found them funny because... You know, there was an element of what we thought was truth in there. And if you look at the low, right. if you look at people in the low carb community, there's there's hundreds of different Facebook groups, and everybody has a slightly different way of doing low carb. Mm. And there's groups that are entirely lipophobic. They 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 restrict fat as much as they possibly can because they still right. bear this, I guess, original sin where we all assume that if we eat fat, we're going to get fat, and therefore fat is the problem. And mm. fat is just energy, <laughs> you know. Right. And it, it's in fact, it's such a safe form of energy that it's what we make when we have excess energy, you know. Yeah. So it's frustrating because there are millions of diabetics in the world who are being injured every day because of this fundamental mistake. So that begs the question, what do we do to overcome the obvious psychological effects of this conventional wisdom that is all around us every day, everywhere we go, even from our doctors, when we know that the science is out there that disproves it? Well, in computer programming, we have this maxim, garbage in equals garbage out, right? Yeah. Garbage in, garbage out. In other words, if you start with bad data... When you process it, you're going to end up with bad results. Bad results. Absolutely. And so what you put in your brain and what you feed your mind on makes a big difference as to what you do. So your behavior and the things that you do, not believe, the things that you do are influenced by what goes in your mind. I mean, you, we're very careful about what goes in our bodies, but we're not so careful about what we occupy our minds with, right? right. Yeah. And so occupy your mind with the right stuff. Go to YouTube and watch Dr. Finney and Dr. Volek and watch Jason Fung and listen to Jimmy Moore and the doc and listen to two keto dudes and go to the people that are citing the science. Right. That's what it comes down to. When you've got two people saying two different things and both appear to be correct, ask them for the science and drill right. in and find out if what they're saying is supported by the evidence in the science. And if it isn't, then 
it's a contradiction and right. we have the ability to hold contradictions in our mind. We'll just wait until the answer comes. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a good example. Um, when I first started on this diet, uh, I was worried about losing my toe. So uh, I was, in fact, I was terrified about losing my toe. Mm. And I wasn't sure that this diet was going to work, but I, I took a gamble. I read the science and I, I made myself understand what it was that was going wrong with my body. I basically went back to some old biochemical textbooks that I had from when I was at university in the 80s and mm. basically researched what is happening to my body, how does somebody become diabetic, why can't I, why, why can't I get healthy? And mm. from there, I found the ketogenic diet. I found people like Tim Noakes who was managing to use it to manage his own glucose. And so yep. that's, that's really where I came from. But in the early days where I first started doing this, I was talking on Facebook about, oh, you know, this, um, Ansel Keys' uh, seven country study has got knobs on. This it, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's and got knobs on. Exactly. I love and your man. I love these uh, Australian uh, little quips that you come up with every once in a while. So one of my friends was a dietitian, and uh, I was, and she was fighting me. She, I was basically putting up photos of the food that I ate, which you know, like for breakfast I'd have bacon and eggs, and uh, for lunch I'd have a boiled egg and some mayonnaise, and uh, maybe some avocado, and then for dinner I'd have some meat and some spinach, and uh, that's pretty much my day, and plus a lot of coffee. Yeah, and uh, and she was saying that this food is dangerous for you. Mm. And she's a dietitian. She's a qualified, she went to university for three years. Um, and the first thing that she said was the ketogenic diet is insufficient glucose to fuel my brain. Yeah. So I went and did the research and I got George Carhill's work on starvation in man. And I gave it to her and said, see, the body runs, the brain will run sufficiently on ketones. Mm. In fact, not only elegantly, but extremely efficiently, the brain runs on, on ketones. Mm -hmm. And then she says, oh, well, you know, epidemiological evidence shows that a diet full of saturated of fat will clog my arteries. Right. And I refuted that with the RCTs, for example, the Sydney Diet Study that showed that in the intervention group, when they uh, took out uh, saturated fat from the diet and replaced it with polyunsaturated fat, they ended up having more death <laughs> in the mm, in the intervention right. group, in the control group. Um, uh, you know, didn't see it. So yeah, so I she said epidemi epidemiological data, which is basically food surveys. They they send out a questionnaire right. every two every year or every two years to to right. nurses, and they fill out what they remember that they ate over the past year, and yeah. it, you know it, it's affected by what nurses think they should be eating. You know, maybe yeah, it's they not science. It's not science. <laughs> and the RCTs were unambiguous. And then she said that a diet without grains would cause a vitamin deficiency. So I showed her the nutritional difference between grains and meat or eggs. And finally, she said that even if science shows that a ketogenic diet was somehow healthier, no person could stick to such a boring diet. Uh, boring so, keto. Boring keto. That's how boring. That's how hashtag boring keto came about. And yeah. I was just like, I was po posting every meal that I ever cooked, and, and some of my meals look pretty good. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So, and I think I probably, I, I think that might have affected you. I think that might have been why the one of the reasons oh, yeah. that you came around to it. Um, but you know, oh, a, yeah, lot of, yeah. a lot of people did. A lot of my friends have come around to ketogenic diet because. The food does look good and it tastes sure. good, you know. So And it's um, delicious, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So So here's an example. Uh I have a friend who is trying mm -hmm. to get started on the ketogenic diet, okay. but um having a real yen for comfort food and ah. you know, late night snacking on comfort food is really is really throwing him off. Mm. So I said, What do you eat? 
And he says he requires uh, eating every three to four hours. Breakfast wow. is like four whole eggs. Okay. All right. I well, don't. That's good. I didn't hear any. I didn't hear any butter. Yeah. No. But breakfast is four eggs. Next meal will be like four slices of roast beef and Swiss cheese. I don't. Okay. I don't hear any fat in there except for no. a little in the Swiss cheese. Maybe yeah. in the meat, not a lot. No. And then next meal usually the same, and then some kind of meat for dinner, and then a yogurt for a snack or nuts to carry him through the night. And mm. you know, uh, it's just screaming out. That he needs more fat yeah. in order to not get hungry every three to four hours and in order to, uh, you know, make it through the night. So mm. he basically told me, you know, give me a meal plan and I'll give it a shot. Okay. And so I worked out some basic stuff, you know, with a list of things that, you know, for the first couple of days, mm. we're going to see how it goes. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll let you know. So in short, conventional wisdom is very wrong about fat and its effect on your metabolism and its effect on your weight. And if you are eating a low-carb diet that doesn't sufficiently have fat in it, try replacing some of that protein with fat. Mm -hmm. Lean into the fat, especially at first. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to be satisfied. Your body's going to have the energy it needs. You won't eat as much. You won't be as hungry. Train your body to burn fat, and, uh, and then you'll find that you're less hungry. And then you can use... It probably takes about six months, according to Dr. Finney, but uh, your appetite will become a reliable gauge of fuel. Well, Richard, I think we forgot something. Yeah, it's everybody's favorite segment. It's mail! 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 All righty, let's do some mail. Yeah. Yeah, we got an email sent to dudes at twoketodudes.com, and this is from Kyle Furman. And okay. he says, hello, gentlemen. I've been an avid listener to your podcast almost since the beginning, and I'm a member of the Facebook group. And I've been thinking about writing a message for a while, but tonight I decided to sit down and do it. Uh, first of all, I'm a healthcare provider at a comprehensive medical center in an Alaskan village on the Arctic Ocean above the Arctic Circle. Um, I've actually lived above the Arctic Circle in Sweden, wow. believe it or not, um, for a year, yes. Uh, but uh, all power to you if you can live up there. It's minus 60 <laughs> degrees Celsius when we were up there. So, Good Lord. Um, and it's middle of his winter, so uh, uh, I am I am sorry about that, but uh, summer is on its way. Uh, yeah. So he goes on to say, our service area contains 11 villages in addition to Kotzebue, the service hub, and it's the size of the state of Indiana, and most of the hmm. population of the villages are Inupiat, which is a Inuit subgroup, and those outside mm -hmm. the main town of Kotzebue practice substance living. Uh, the traditional diet consists mostly of land and sea mammals and fish, just as it has been for thousands of years. Right. Uh, the late summer brings Arctic blueberries and a few other berries that are picked and stored in rendered animal fat. Yum. Is that pemmican? It would, that sounds like pemmican, doesn't it? I know that yeah, it um, in Sweden they have lingonberries, similar kind of thing up in the Arctic Circle uh, during mm. the summertime. There's only a short time uh, at the end of summer when they're available. And the, the Inuit in, uh, or the Sami in, in, uh, uh, the, in Scandinavia do the same. They, they, they mm. store them in, in fat. Uh, mm. So he says uh, people only eat 
uh, raw or lightly cooked meat, often which supplies adequate vitamin C, which is destroyed in the cooking process. That's yeah. interesting because we, we spoke to Amber last week and she said that uh, some of the vitamin C may still be available in cooked meat, but um, he indicates But raw has more. Raw has more, yeah. yeah. So he says, in the main town, there is a couple of grocery stores peddling prepared food, sugary soda, and the rest of the mainstream westernized food. Mm. Uh, it's a horror to provide healthcare services for those in this area, I'll bet. Um, during my time here, he says, I've been able to easily divide patients into two categories almost on site, those who live subsistence life and those who do not. And those who eat according to traditional diets are very lean, strong, quite powerfully built people with clear skin, strong hearts, and are active well into their latter years. Mm. Most low-carb, high-fat researchers at least mention this group. Uh, those who have succumbed to prepared foods and consumption of cheap carbohydrates present with all of the markers of diseases of diet as anywhere else. Uh, it's sad, mm. and I could talk and write about this at great length. I think it'd yeah. be interesting to have him on uh, to, Absolutely. to talk about this because we have a similar problem in Australia with the, our Aboriginal people that the sure. last tribe – in Australia, who had never had contact with Western people, walked out of the desert in 1989, I believe. So, you know, wow. and we were able to – we sent um, people to find out what they ate. So we have a fair understanding of the food that they ate unaffected by uh, Westerners. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it was a low-carb, high-fat diet, really. Sure. Um yeah. Anyway, so Kyle goes on and he says, fortunately, I'm able to encourage those patients for whom diseases associated with insulin dysregulation has become an issue mm. to add back in foods into their traditional diet. Uh, it's been a powerful experience to sit in a room with an adult or child with uh, diabetes mellitus type 2, obesity or such other conditions and urge them to return to the available options in the environment around them. Uh, I've also been resistant to add hyperglycemic prescription drugs to a patient's active medications. Metformin is one thing. I still believe metformin is useful for many, mm -hmm. even in the healthy. Well, I, I've just gone back to taking metformin, even though I didn't need it for my uh, for my right, glucose right. control. I, I would like it for my insulin yeah. sensitivity. He goes on to say, but I've not started any individual on a statin medication since I've been here. I take pride in being part of those of us in the healthcare who are fighting back against great resistance in order to advocate for our patients. Well, good on you, Kyle. Yeah. That's awesome. Good on you. So he says that brings us to a secondary term. I feel that the Two Keto Dudes Facebook page posts are sometimes a very anti-healthcare provider and have resulted in my decrease in activity in the group. Hmm. I've seen multiple comments stating how horrible their medical provider is because they don't believe in the keto way or they advise statins or, or, or. The list goes on. Mm-hmm. I realize that many people are unhappy with how their primary care provider is managing their health care, but I think it's often lost that these are people who have devoted their lives, tens or even hundreds of thousands in their education and years of time to learning to care for those people right. for whom they have a responsibility. Uh, I agree. These are not people who are trying to hurt or otherwise hinder the health of that person. I agree. However, yeah, I agree too. However, they along with what I could likely say to be every member of the keto community, have much historical dietary guidelines garbage to overcome. Yep. Apropos of our subject today. Exactly. He says, be patient with them. Approach them as you would a friend with whom you have a disagreement. Encourage mm. conversation with the perspective that this person in front of you has made the mental, economic, and time commitments to be a partner in your healthcare and has considerable yeah. investment in the field. Be kind to them, 
in brackets, yep. us. <laughs> uh, there are those of us out there who are quietly educating our colleagues. I may not have the labs and research of the greats, Volok, Finney, Fung, etc., mm. but I'm tolling away in my little corner of the world doing what I can on the ground level. Yeah. We are out there. You just have to look. Uh, maybe we general practitioners are even making a difference as this movement grows. Mm. I hope so. Even if you are worried to discuss this diet with your provider, please do so to pique their interest. And there truly are those for which this diet could be dangerous. For example, people on certain medications that could precipitate true metabolic acidosis if on a ketogenic diet. And also, I might add, if people aren't smart about it, and this is why Finney says a well-formulated ketogenic diet, right. if you don't watch your electrolytes and all of that stuff, your heart muscle could cramp up. I mean, yeah. because you know there are dangers that you have to address right up front. That's right. So uh, he says, finally, about your vitamin question, first of all, a correction. I believe that the vitamin B family has been referred to a couple of times as fat-soluble. B vitamins are considered water-soluble, and there are a whole bunch of them in the family. Uh, below is a horribly truncated – we'll link into the show notes, but he says there's a horribly truncated rundown of some keto-friendly vitamin sources – Many vitamins are needed in much less quantity since they are only needed for metabolism of carbohydrates. Others are manufactured by our gut flora regardless of our dietary sources. Oh, okay. So uh, so he, he does go through the B vitamins, and it's a quite a lengthy uh, post. Um, mm -hmm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, link it on our show notes. But, Great. Uh, and he goes through all the vitamins. And I think what we might do is we might extend an invitation to him to talk to him about his practice and, and about these issues. Absolutely. Because he's he's, uh, he's living it. He is. And he is, and he is an exemplar of the people who are necessary to be able to start this revolution because we totally need, agree. We need doctors involved. I remember Tom Norton, when he was on our show, said, be kind to your doctor because if something really goes wrong, you want him in your corner on your side. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My, I had this experience with my doctor, as people who listen to the show know, but mm -hmm. you know, I'll repeat it. After I lost 35 pounds and uh, my biomarkers of disease came down, um, my doctor was kind of blown away. And sure. uh, I said to my doctor, I don't think doctors are evil. And you might think that I have this, you know, why didn't you tell me attitude? And I sort of do, but I mean, I don't blame you and I don't blame doctors because you didn't learn about this stuff in mm. medical school. Right. They didn't teach you this stuff and they taught you how to treat symptoms and not how to cure disease. And uh, it turns out that you do not need medication to cure yourself of diseases of civilization. Yeah. And my doctor is completely on board now. Wonderful. So yeah. uh, my doctor is as well, and and uh, sh she was uh, she was into the five two fast stuff, um, and mm -hmm. she really didn't know a lot about keto. But all of a sudden, a lot of her patients are turning up knowing about keto and having done keto. And I think part of that's because I've given a name out to some people who've asked for Canberra doctors. I think that our role really here is to start a revolution. We need to start a grassroots revolution because we can't start it with the pharmaceutical industry and with the food industry because they're horribly conflicted and all the peak bodies are purchased by the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry. So, um, and I would I would say the revolution has begun. I mean, it's been going on now for a while. And you know, people tell me why don't I know this? You know, my mm. my mother and her her beau. <laughs> yeah. He said, "How come this isn't 
well known. And I said, it actually is. I've been sending you links to science and links to studies. The reason that you don't hear about it from your doctor is because of this conventional wisdom around Mm -hmm. what they believe is to be the truth about saturated fat and uh, dietary cholesterol and other stuff. And you, you, you have to be the agent of change, not the other way around. You can't expect a doctor who's been under the belief system of low fat and low cholesterol all their career to just suddenly, you know, look at a scientific study and then start shoving fat down everybody's throat. They, right. they need an example that they can track the progress and all of that stuff to say, hey, there might be something to this. I think part of the problem is that about 40 or 50 years ago, the medical practice ceded authority over diet to a separate group, which is dietitians and nutritionists. And yeah. really, there used to there was a time, certainly in Australia, when my grandfather was a physician, he used to prescribe olive oil to people and to get mm. olive oil you would go to the pharmacy and it was a <laughs> it was a medicine and yeah. you know so he certainly my grandfather certainly prescribed food as a medicine as a treatment mm. uh, for for conditions and my father who um, uh, was also a doctor he in his era really I think Dietitians and nutritionists were ceded that territory. They were allowed to occupy that, and doctors really didn't want to worry about that because they could focus on surgical interventions and pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was really that really became what medicine was. About you know forty years ago, medicine became pharmaceuticals and surgical interventions, and not right. um, long term lifestyle changes and uh let's not treat the disease let's treat the symptoms right and that's part of the reason why doctors are in a difficult position now because they really can't take that territory back so people like uh, gary fetke or tim noakes when they do try to take back the territory of talking about nutrition these organizations the dietitians and the the nutritionists basically sue them yeah, drag them through the mud, um, and right. and try and convince the world that their credentials as medical doctors do not entitle them to talk about nutrition. And yeah. so th- it's I, a sad state of affairs, really. Yeah, and uh, uh, what can we say? We're we're incensed about it. Yeah, we are, and we're going to do something about it. And that leads us to our piece of news. Yes, we have some news to announce right now on Two Keto Dudes. Well, this show comes out uh, in mid-December yep. and just before the holidays. And for a special holiday treat, we have an announcement about our Facebook group. We do. Now, our Facebook group recently hit the 10,000 member mark and it came up so fast on us that uh, it's probably as of this recording, maybe even 11 it's ten and a half at least now. So yeah, and that's been since April. So we started the Facebook group in April. We started the podcast in February. February. And uh, since April, we've grown to ten thousand five hundred members. It'll be almost eleven thousand very soon. Uh, it's out of control. It really is, and it's almost a full time job to <laughs> to manage this. Um, we've also we've added our one thousandth Instagram follower uh-huh. uh, in the past couple of weeks, and we had a competition for that. Yeah, 
And the other interesting thing is we've had over 2.2 million downloads of our weekly podcast. If you add them all together, that's right. Yeah, that's of every. That's the, that's the amount of amount of listens of our podcast, and the most popular of our podcast, which is Jason Fung's, uh, will soon cross the threshold of more than one hundred thousand downloads. That's amazing. There's more than one hundred thousand people listening to one podcast. So it's a very popular thing, this ketogenic diet, and it's going to become more and more and more popular. And this is why we sort of wanted to tackle this idea of conventional wisdom. Hmm. Um, but getting back to the Facebook group, we have it's been a challenge for us to manage the whole thing and provide a safe environment that's free from trolls and spammers and false information and all of that kind of stuff. And we realized that it's because of Facebook itself and the way Facebook is set up. Yeah. It's not easy to search for information when you have a question. It's much easier and you are encouraged to just go in, not read anything and ask a question because you know a lot of people are going to answer you quickly. And they do. Yeah. Well, 10,000 people there. Yeah. But Facebook is set up not to make it efficient for you to find information, but to keep your eyeballs glued to Facebook. That's they right. They want you scrolling through the feed. Pass their advertisements. Yeah. And I mean, if, if a great response to a question was put in our Facebook group a week ago, You've got no chance of finding it unless you can... No chance. Unless there's some unique word that was only mentioned in that one post that you can do a search on. And and if Facebook's search um, dialogue is willing to play ball, maybe mm. it might uh, favor you with the response of what you're looking for. But information on Facebook is ephemeral. It disappears. So the announcement is we're moving off of Facebook. Yep. Let that sink in for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well... I have to give my wife, Kelly, uh, credit for this. Okay. She said, you know, Facebook is terrible for finding information. You guys should have a forum. Good idea. And I immediately thought about a forum that Richard and I use all the time as software developers, Stack Overflow. Right. Stackoverflow.com. Hmm. This is a forum that is moderated by the users of the forum and answers to questions uh, are easily searched and voted up so that anybody can come and type in a, a, a question right. and you're going to get an, a pertinent answer thread and you're going to get the most voted uh, good answer to that question that you have. Mm. And so now we're developing a database of knowledge right. and that is curated by the community. Mm. So the forum is at ketogenicforums.com. Yep. And currently, you have to have an invite because we're not open for business yet. Mm -hmm. We're going to open on Christmas Day yep. for our listeners. We're going to keep our Facebook page open, but the pin post will be all about, you know, the new forum, ketogenicforums.com. Mm -hmm. So then we're going to officially open the door to the uh, public on January 1st. Uh, although we're actually doing it on Christmas Day. But January 1st is going to be our official thing where... It's know, a Christmas present. We're giving everyone a Christmas yeah. present. If you want to get in access, uh, just go in and make an account and you're in. That's right. You'll be able to sign in with Facebook or Google or Twitter or Instagram or Yahoo. Yep. Or you can create a login based on your email address. The cool thing about this, with Facebook, we have 10,000 users and we have... 20 admins, and we can barely keep on top of everything because mm. uh, there are so many spam messages. There's people drop porn in this on, on our 
Facebook group, yep. all sorts of rubbish that we have to keep off. And it, it, you probably don't notice this, but um, it, it's driving everybody crazy. The cool thing about this forum is that it works on trust. So the longer that you are a participant working with the forum, the higher your trust level will become until you become it's a moderator. gamified a little bit. It is gamified a little bit. We have badges. Um, we don't mm-hmm. need no stinking badges. <laughs> <laughs> badges are sort of just a sort of a recognition of, you know, you earned this badge because of, you know, what you did and didn't do. Yeah. And so, as Richard says, you can become a moderator by sticking around long enough and being a good citizen. Yep. Engaging with the community. Right. And not having flagged posts because mm-hmm. every anybody can flag a post for anybody else. And then it's up to the moderators to decide, uh, does this post belong in this topic or this yep. discussion? We can move it to another category or another topic, um, that kind of thing. So people get to participate in policing their own forum. And that's yeah. what's amazing about it. Yeah. That's what's going to enable us to grow into the millions. Yes. Facebook really tapped out for us around about three or 4,000. Yeah. Past that, it was almost a full-time job just to keep our Facebook community pleasant and sociable to each other. Yep. So, um, and, and we're at the point now where we cannot grow any further and still be a volunteer organization. Right. So, um, but the good thing about moving to a forum is that we're going to be able to grow to a million people. Not only that, but this isn't just going to be a Carl and Richard forum. This no. is going to be a ketogenic forum for everybody in the community to participate in. Mm. And that means, you know, we sometimes talk about the two types of people that use the low-carb, high-fat diet, the performance athletes and the type 2 diabetics. Right. And they're on opposite sides of a spectrum. Mm. And each has different concerns about what they eat and how they eat and how they move and all of that stuff. And so those people can have their own topic, their own forum, their own category as well. Yeah, that's right. With Facebook, we have one silo and it scrolls by so quickly and everybody has to try and get their differing viewpoints in and people come into conflict with each other because right. they have different goals. And right. with the forum, what we're going to be able to do is we're going to be able to have an area which is set aside for people who don't want profanity. And we're going to be able to have an area that's set aside for people who want to focus on anabolism and building muscle and right. uh, and performance ath- athleticism. And we can have a, a, a an area that's set aside for people who are trying to get uh, out from underneath type 2 diabetes. And obesity. And obesity. And there will be common groups, for example, talking about recipes and talking about uh, ways to formulate a ketogenic diet and- uh, Medical concerns. Medical concerns, um, talking about fat, protein, meat, vegetables. All of these are- a good subject areas that are appropriate for categorization. So our plan again is to open the forum to the public, ketogenicforums.com, mm-hmm. on Christmas Day, and which is only a few days from the publication of this podcast, yep. and do an official opening on New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. And so then we're going to keep the Facebook group open until the end of January. At That's the right. end of January, we're giving it a Viking funeral. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to tow it out to sea and we're going to light it up. <laughs> right. And the people who go there will still be able to see, hey, why is nothing going on here? Why can't I join, et cetera? Mm-hmm. And there'll be a pinned post that says, you know, here's why. So long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> That's right. That month of January is going to give everybody an opportunity to try both and be 
be comfortable with the new forum. And mm-hmm. uh, we recommend people post their questions in both places if they don't mind mm-hmm. because a lot of people won't have yet gone to the forum and so you'll probably get good responses in both places. Mm-hmm. But at the end of January, we're going to make the our existing Facebook forum with 10,500 members, probably 11,000, maybe even 12,000 by then. We're going to make the entire thing read-only. So, and by read-only, Richard, what do we mean exactly? Uh, what we mean is that... Uh, you won't be able to post any new topics in the forum, in the Facebook forum. Uh, you, If you're a member of the Facebook forum, you'll still be able to go there and search and uh, and read old topics. Uh, but if you're not a member of the Facebook group, we won't be accepting new members. And uh, we will have a pinned post at the top of the forum for existing members and an introductory post for prospective members explaining where we went. Great. Well, we know that took a while to get through, but we're glad you stuck with us because now it's time for... <laughs> Recipes! <laughs> I love this beer. Recipes! 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 I'm going to go first today. You go first, Carl. All right. As you know, Richard and I are turning a town ketogenic uh, one weekend this coming summer. We are. And uh, it's going to be called Keto Fest. You can go to ketofest.com to learn about it and sign up if you want more information as it happens. But I got an email from uh, Matt and Mega who run Keto Connect. And you can get there at Mm ketoconnect.net. And they wanted to come and do some cooking classes. Wow. Now, he pointed me to a very popular recipe for keto bread Mm. on YouTube. Okay. And uh, it is very popular, but unlike cloud bread or oopsie bread, which, mm-hmm. you know, was one of my first offerings here, yeah. this is a bread that you make in a bread pan, oh. just like a regular loaf of bread. Although it's kind of the same ingredients as oopsie bread, minus mm-hmm. the cream cheese mm-hmm. and with a bit more butter. But I made it and it's fantastic. And let me give you the recipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, just with a caveat, though. Okay. I wanted to have a little yeast flavor in my bread. So I went out and got some instant rise yeast. Okay. And I added a little bit to it. And yes, that did make it better. Yeah. About a tablespoon of instant rise yeast. Just add it to the dry ingredients. All right. So here you go. You need one and a half cups of almond flour. Mm -hmm. You need six large eggs separated. You need four tablespoons of butter melted. You need three teaspoons of baking powder, Mm -hmm. a quarter teaspoon of cream of tartar, and one pinch of salt. And if you've ever made keto bread or cloud bread or oopsie bread before, you probably know what to do here. But their instructions are a little bit different. First of all, you preheat your oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. You separate the egg whites from the egg yolks. You add cream of tartar to the whites and beat it until soft peaks are achieved. Now, in my world, when I'm making oopsie bread, I beat the egg whites until they're stiff peaks. But they say not to do that, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And now they want you to, in a food processor, combine the egg yolks, butter, almond flour, baking powder, and salt, and mix until combined. And it does create a lumpy, thick dough, and it balls up and everything. Okay. And I'm going to take a minute here to talk about a recall So if you have a Cuisinart food processor, 
you might want to check out the link that we post or just search the Googles and the Bings for Cuisinart Food Processors Recalled. Um, this was a story from December 13th. And if you have a Cuisinart food processor that has a model number that fits the list, uh, there's a laceration hazard. In other words, bits of the blade can chip off during processing and end Ouch. up in your food and end up in your gut. And you could have the same problem that Shane Barnbrook had, yeah. which is, you know, he ripped his gut open with a chicken bone. Yeah. So this is no joke. It's very serious. I actually have one of those Cuisinart food processors and I had to replace it. So if, fortunately, I found out after I made my bread and I haven't made any since and I'm waiting for my new blade. And there's no mystery bits of blade disappearing. No, not at all. Good. That's a relief. All right. So after you have this thick lumpy dough, mm -hmm. you add one third of the beaten egg whites to the almond flour mixture and process it thoroughly. Okay. And the reason is you want to get some liquid in there and make a batter consistency before you fold in the rest of the egg whites. So that's going to beat down the egg whites that you've added yeah. in there. Yeah. Fair enough. Yep. Yep. That's fair enough, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now you add the remaining, you don't actually take it out and fold it in like we do with cloud bread. And this right. is, this works great. Mm. You add the remaining two thirds of the egg whites and gently process until fully incorporated. Be careful not to overmix. So I just did a pulse, you know, yeah. four yeah, or yeah. five different, four or five pulses. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't, uh, just fold it in because that would have left streaks of egg white and everything. Yeah. You do want it incorporated, but you don't overdo it. Yeah. And then it goes into a buttered eight by four loaf pan and you bake it for 30 minutes and check it with a toothpick because in 30 minutes, uh, if that toothpick comes out clean, oh my gosh, is it good? Uh, yeah, get it out of that pan nice. and maybe let it sit for five minutes, slice it up, put it in the toaster or grill it with butter. Mm, the panini press, yep. Yeah, or just in a fry pan with butter, you know, to get that grilled... Cheese toasty. <laughs> toasty on it, yeah. yeah. And it has the consistency of cornbread. Oh, I love cornbread. In fact, it's a great cornbread substitute. Oh, I'm going to do that then, because I do like cornbread. And maybe if you want it a little sweeter, you can add a little sweetener to it to get sure. that sweet flavor. And I don't know if there is such a thing as essence of corn. I think I've seen popcorn essence, so I guess that's kind of close, yeah. Yeah, that might be worth trying. Mm, yeah. Put a little of that in. And again, I added a tablespoon of yeast uh, to it. And not for the rise, because obviously there's no sugar for the yeast yeah. to consume and create the gas, mm. but just for the flavor, because I love a bready flavor. Mm. And if you want a more cornbready flavor, I would omit the yeast and do it just the way that uh, Matt and Mega say to do it. You could actually use a honey essence, which has no honey in it, no sugars in it at all, mm -hmm. but it's that flavor of honey, um, because honeyed cornbread mm. is, a, is a thing, uh, something I became quite addicted to when I was in the States. And you have such a thing, honey essence? Yeah, yeah. That, um, that uh, es I'll, I'll put links in the show notes, but that uh, place that we get our essences from, um, they have honey essence. Yes, definitely. Fantastic. Incredible. All right, buddy. That's my recipe. What do you got? I have a simple recipe. Uh, it only has four ingredients, and one of the ingredients is beer. Okay. Okay, I've got some beers here. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> these are from Burley Brewing Company. Now, this is a company in Australia, and I do mm -hmm. apologize to everybody outside Australia, but uh, you're probably only going to be able to do this recipe if you have access to these. Um, now, uh, why is that? 
What kind of beer is it that makes it so special? They're, it's beer with no carbohydrates. What? Zero carb beer. Wow. And even even though I'm in day three of a four-day Zorn fast, I did have a mouthful before I cooked with it just to make sure that it tasted okay, and it tastes really quite nice. Wow. So these are from Burley Brewing, and they use a special yeast uh, to, to be able to get it zero carb. Obviously, the yeast uh, it eats the sugars in the grains mm. and uh, converts them into alcohol and carbon dioxide, and most yeasts will leave a little bit of the glucose, but they were able to find a yeast that was able to eat everything. It was ex- extremely good scavenger of, of available glucose. So they were able to reduce it all. Well, that's a yeast I want to use in bread, right? Yeah, or kombucha or, yeah, yeah. definitely. So anyway, this uh, this is Big Head No Carb Lager from Burley hmm. Brewing Company. And I apologize for everybody outside Australia, but since Carl did a recipe last week that uh, needs clam juice, which is not available <laughs> in Australia, I figure only turnabout ter- is fair. only fair. So, <laughs> it is only fair. So um, this recipe, has, as I say, has four ingredients. One of them is beer. So I started off with two uh, bottles of beer. They're uh, 300 ml bottles, so 600 ml of beer, about, about a pint of, of, of beer in a slow cooker to which I add some herbs. And I had a couple of bay leaves that were falling off a bay tree outside, so I just grabbed a handful of those, tossed those in. Mm. Uh, then I added, I got some bolar beef, which is mm-hmm. a, the bolar cut is from the shoulder. It's kind of like the, in a pig it would be called the butt. It'd be called the pork butt. So it's a beef shoulder. It's a beef shoulder, yeah. It's, a, it's that fatty sort of uh, piece under the shoulder and uh, and the top of the arm. So basically it's extremely cheap and it's uh, it needs to be really cooked for a long time. Uh, but it has a, a fatty cap. Uh, hmm. So, um, so what I do is I chop it into chunks and, of course, there'll, there will be a recipe on, on, on our blog that, shows you how to do this and you can see the pictures of me chopping it into chunks. But basically I chop it into chunks, about two inches cube chunks. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to sear them in the pan. Now, normally when you make – and what I'm making is a pulled beef in beer. Oh. Now, the traditional recipe, you have a lot of sugar, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to caramelize the outside of the meat first. Okay. So I'm going to um, uh, put it put some of the meat fat cap – side down in a hot, hot, hot cast iron pan. What it's going to do is it's going to render out the fat mm-hmm. and then I'm going to cook all six sides of the cubes of meat and then I'm going to put them in the slow cooker with the beer and with the herbs. And I did say there was one other ingredient, it's water. <laughs> so ah. the ingredients are a meat, beer and water and, and some herbage. <laughs> and you put that in a slow cooker for about 10 hours. Okay. And at the end of the 10 hours, once it becomes soft, so you basically you get a couple of forks and you see if you can peel apart the meat. And if you can peel apart the meat, you turn off the slow cooker and use the two forks to shred the entire meat. And what it does is those fibers of meat pick up the juices that the meat has been cooking in. Mm. Before you start shredding, there's a fair amount of liquid and then there's the pieces of meat. Once you've shredded up all of the meat, it soaks up all of those juices and uh, so it's just like a big old pot of pulled beer-tasting beef. Nice. Now, I've actually got a keto meetup, a Canberra meetup on Tuesday, and that's what I'm bringing, a big pot of 
beer beef. <laughs> <laughs> and how much beer did you say you use in this thing? I use about a pint. So uh, two of these uh, stubby containers, which are- uh, 12 ounces, maybe? Yeah, it's about 12 ounces. Uh, so uh, yeah, about 24 ounces of, uh, of, of beer. So I found a beer, uh, Budweiser Select 55, that has only 1.9 grams of carbs per 12-ounce bottle. So if you want to use that bad. instead, that's only roughly yeah. 4 grams of carbohydrate. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, that I'm, I'm putting in about 3.5 kilograms of bolar beef. That's a bolar roast is about 3.5 kilograms. And we would normally here, once we pulled the meat, we would then put it into freezer bags, uh, 200 grams per portion. We end up, and that feeds two people. So basically, we would end up with 35 meals. So, and it costs about uh, $35. So for about $35, I can make 35 meals. Um, and then you'd have, you'd have the, the pulled meat and maybe cabbage or something, you know, low-carb vegetable. That's really it. trace amounts of carbohydrates, even if you use a low-carb beer. Yeah, you, know, you could use a low-carb beer, as you say, mm. but, um, you know, I'm going to bring to the Breckenridge Conference some of these big head uh, beers. With oh, me. that's awesome. Use my duty-free allowance on that. <laughs> Fantastic, Richard. Well, as we said, we know it's a long show, but, uh, you know, we had a lot to say. Yeah, of course, if you have anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong or something that you don't agree with or some more research that you found to support or refute what we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com or post it on our website. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Two Keto Dudes, on Instagram at Two Keto Dudes. And of course, mm -hmm. for the next month or so, if you want to join our <laughs> Facebook community, it's fb.twoketo.com. And from Christmas Day onwards, you're going to be able to join us on ketogenicforums.com. Absolutely. Keep calm and keto on, buddy. Keep calm and keto on, Carl. All right. And we'll see you next time on, on Two Keto, keto Dudes. Dudes.